1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 135, Top 10 Race Games.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the
1: greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is your podcast about everything tabletop, all the fun games you've been playing. And some of the fun games and some of the not-so-fun games we've been playing over the last couple of weeks.
0: (laughs) Way to set it up, man.
1: (laughs) I know. Well, look, we take bullets for our listeners because we do love them and we do love games. And sometimes the edges of the cardboard are a little sharper than others. So hopefully we can kind of help you avoid some of those kind of challenges and bring you the best in board gaming as always. So I don't know, Anthony, but how about you? Any new games or any gaming you've been doing lately? God so much gaming
0: guys you don't understand after Gen Con how much gaming we have to do <laughs> and that sounds amazing but it, there's a lot of games that I want to play and then a lot of games that I have to play sure. so it's a, it's a mix of a few things actually the game I'm gonna talk about later is one that I had to play that I ended up liking a lot so stay tuned for that but in the meantime there were a lot of other games I've been playing uh, finally got whistle stopped to the table that's fantastic I think it's out now, so you should definitely check that out. I'll probably write a review in a few weeks, but just <laughs> super shorthand.
1: It's really good. Go try it. A game that I got to the table recently was Dynasties by Matthias Kramer. And I was really blown away by this. This was a Z-Man game release before the Asmodee acquisition. So this game is not out in distribution in the U.S., but someone was able to get it from overseas and bring it to the table. And basically, it's I Split You Choose on a number of the different mechanics in the game and it's brilliant and i'm just trying to figure out after my first gameplay if i want to see if i can kind of wrangle a copy from europe or hope and pray that asmodee actually does reprint this game
0: yeah you told me about this last week and i I looked it up so i know they're out there you can get a german copy it's it's not crazy expensive
1: yeah (laughs) it's just troubling a lot of these good games stay over on Europe and I'm sure Europe feels the same way about the games that, you know, come out here sure. on the U S but distribution is a challenge and shipping is a challenge too. So hopefully you're getting these great games out to the table and hopefully conventions will actually bring more out to you. So we'll have more talk about that over the next several weeks, but let's talk about some of the stuff that we're going to get to the table, and especially our feature review, which is top 10 race games. So this was a topic that Anthony and I came up with as we were driving back from Gen Con, and all the games were starting to settle in our brain, and one of the ideas was, how about all these games that no one thinks of as race games, but they actually have race as their major mechanic? Yeah,
0: so the main idea here is that the game ends when somebody reaches a certain point. And, like, I thought in my head... This is a not an uncommon thing. There are a lot of games that use this, but I couldn't figure out what it was called, and there doesn't seem to be a category on BGG for it, so we're making a list, Woohoo! and now there's a category <laughs> for it right here. Done! Um, if you know the name for the category of this and you're rolling your eyes right now, just let us know. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, I would like to know. Uh, I do like these kinds of games. So it'd be cool to be able to look them up.
1: Our brains were kind of melted after Gen Con, so I'm sure there's an obvious answer. And you will have an opportunity to give that answer because we have a million different social media ways, Twitter, Facebook, our BoardGamersAnonymous.com website, where you can reach out to us and tell us how we've missed the obvious. But before we get into that, let's get into what you've actually been saying to us with our question of the week. So what do we have for us, Anthony?
0: All right. So I asked everybody a what I thought was... a See, sometimes I come up with questions and I think, well, this is a dumb question because I know what the answer is going (laughs) to be. But I ask it anyways, because sometimes the answer is different than what I expect it to be. So
1: it's not 42?
0: It's not 42. (laughs) All right. Sometimes it's 42. You never know. So I ask what or would you prefer photographs from a TV movie or TV show or movie in a board game or less than stellar but original artwork? And my assumption, because this is what I would prefer, is less than stellar but original artwork. But the reason I asked this specifically is because Upper Deck has been releasing some really bad artwork. And in their most recent legendary release with Buffy, they just went with photos. They're like, yeah. you know what? Forget it, photographs. And people seem to be fine with that. Sure. So I was wondering what people thought, because I guess there's a line here, like how bad the work needs to be, at least for me. And people generally agreed. I mean, Chris said, this is incredibly subjective. My opinion is an edited photo from the original show. Um, for a character card, do a capture of the character from a picture from the show. I don't like when artists just put a full scene on a card. It makes the card too busy. True. Uh, original art can work, but it can also be messy, like Firefly Legendary which I agree. Daniel mentioned how the artwork on the cards in Marvel Legendary was almost all the same. So that's another problem. If you're using artwork, sometimes they repeat it. Uh, the Godfather had the same problem. All the job cards use the exact same piece of artwork. That bothered me uh, with so much other good stuff there. Nathan said, it's a tough one. I don't mind the movie steals as long as it's being consistent. The Arrow crossover pack for DC Deck Builder just bothers me. Uh, which I agree. If you have a bunch of artwork and then you cross over
1: Ooh, yeah. photographs
0: into that, that's no good. <laughs> so, And then Joachim actually just said, photographs for me, please. So most people actually seem not to have a problem with photos. I, I don't know. I have a tough time. I just played the Expanse board game uh, yesterday. And it uses photographs instead of artwork. And I just didn't like it. Sure. So I don't know. I, but I've never really liked it. And maybe it's just the... Back in the day, licensed games used photos, and they were ugly, and they were awful, and maybe that's not the case anymore, but that's just in my head. Photo means awful, and I I want artwork.
1: I hear you. I guess it depends on the photo itself. Does it depict what the card's trying to depict? I think, as Chris said earlier, sometimes there are these general photos of a character that don't depict the action that the card is trying to show, or... Maybe it's an item, but here's a giant picture that they just kind of snapped away. This kind of reminds me of WizKids Star Trek Attack Wing, which has a lot of these kind of like really bad screen caps. It's almost blurry in some cases or pixelated where they were trying to zoom in on a character, but it just made the image worse. So I probably would go along with, I guess, somewhat substandard artwork if the cards needed to kind of depict something direct but if it's just going to be general character cards or item cards then yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be fine with the photos i i reviewed two doctor who games not too long ago and both of them used photos from the show and i thought they did a stellar job of picking nice crisp images for the game and there weren't anything special about the images it was decent and i and i thought they did a good job so Totally comes down to what is the card, what is the game trying to do, and if it's nothing special, then I'm all for the photos. But if it is something special, then I'll take the substandard artwork.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's more difficult now than it used to be because games are generally better. Sure. Uh, so that general feeling of photos means cheap isn't necessarily true anymore. Uh, I mean, Fantasy Flight has spoiled us a little where they have original artwork for everything on all their IPs, but I think it can work either way.
1: It's rough. I mean, I I think the answer for everyone would be always have high-quality artwork above everything else. But that's not always the case, and sometimes it adds a big expense to the game.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to pay 80 bucks for a legendary box.
1: It's true, especially with all those cards. A lot of artwork there. yeah. All right, so that's our question of the week. Now on to our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what games are you looking forward to getting to the table at a future point? And uh, whether or not they actually have artwork or photographs, what's special for you this week?
0: Ah, so I picked a game that has ridiculous artwork in a, ah, in a good so you way. Did there? Yeah, you <laughs> set me up nicely. Yeah. This is a game that I had not seen before, but we did spot a demo copy at Gen Con and it is Cerebria, The Inside World. It's designed by Richard Amon and Victor Pater from Mind Clash Games. So these are the guys behind Tricarion, which Chris, I know you backed. Yes, I did. And Anachrony, which I picked up at Gen Con. So between the two of us, we have both of their previous games. Mm -hmm. Um, This one looks even crazier than Anachrony. Anachrony looks pretty crazy. It is, in a nutshell, you are in the inside world. So inside of someone's head somewhere and you're battling i don't know if you're battling necessarily but there's two opposing forces bliss and gloom and you are one of these different aspects within that world and you're trying to basically influence between bliss and gloom and and try to come out ahead so you're using emotion cards and various different intensities and different abilities to occupy different places on the board There is a laundry list of different mechanisms here on the BGG page, which doesn't surprise me based on the last two games that they've released. And so it's I'm not going to try to encapsulate everything this game does from not having a not having played it and b in the two or three minutes we're talking about it here. But it's think about like it's inside the head. So it's like a Pixar movie, but an adult board game. And so you have these beautiful, beautiful artwork. You have these fantastic looking miniatures. There is an option with the Kickstarter to get the miniatures painted. So I know a lot of people are always upset when the miniatures don't come painted. So they give you that option, although it is extra money. And it, the game is priced a little high to start. But these guys generally have pretty high quality components. So it's, whether the game warrants that or not, I'm not really sure. I haven't played it. But it looks fantastic. I love the theme. It's very unique. It's very original. And again, talking about artwork, this is this is a game that's beautiful to set up. Like, it stopped us in our tracks when we walked by their booth at Gen Con
1: yeah I would think that out of probably close to I would say 90 or so percent of of the games that we saw was like oh that's really nice that's really interesting this one definitely was oh we have to stop and take a look at this it really was something that drew us in
0: yeah it's it's fantastic so I, I think I took several photos I didn't take a lot of photos of games that we didn't actually play or demo and this is one I took quite a few
1: of yeah it's up on Kickstarter now and it's by all means, something you should take a look at to see if it's for you, and it has some kind of team aspect, both sides kind of fighting each other, so that's pretty different as far as a board game concerned, and definitely that inside-out kind of worlds inside of worlds, emotions kind of fighting and battling each other is definitely a different theme. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to have
0: a solo cooperative mode uh, designed by the same guy who did the solo for um, Anachrony as well as Budapest uh, Days of Ire. both games Well, I haven't played Anachrony yet, but Days of Iron is a fantastic game. So, very excited for that side of things as well.
1: Great. All right. Well, I want to talk about two expansions that are coming out for truly beloved games for us. The first one is the Companions of Marco Polo. This is the first expansion for the Voyages of Marco Polo. And if you've been listening to this podcast for almost any amount of time, you know Anthony and I love this game. For so many reasons, it is a true classic Euro as far as traveling and picking up resources. But it uses dice in a very interesting felt-like way as far as the number of dice that you roll and what sides of the face they come up with allows you to pair them or put them in certain combinations that will actually benefit you. It's a really, really well-needed expansion not because the game isn't complete and brilliant but as far as just bringing this game to the table more often this game is the type of game that while it does get table play it does not get enough table play this definitely needs to be in a regular rotation and this expansion seems like it's going to do something new and interesting for the game
0: i'm so excited about this and i'm so excited that Well, I'm not excited that Z-Man's owned by Asmodee now, but I'm a little excited because maybe we'll actually be able to find this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, it adds a separate board, so it it doesn't seem to be an overwhelming thing for them. So hopefully this is something cheap and simple for them to produce, and it'll add a lot more to the game. Now, the second expansion that I want to talk about is for Lorenzo Emanofico, Houses of the Renaissance. Now, this is an expansion that, once again is going to do the same thing for that Marco Polo's expansion is going to do, which is bring this game into more rotation. This game is complete. It feels great. Anthony and I both love this game. And what the expansion does, I guess in a nutshell, is going to give you asymmetrical uh, family powers. So at the start of the game, you're going to have an ability that your other players are not going to have. It's going to give you 48 new development cards and a new fifth tower. So if you remember how the game is kind of set up, there are four towers. Will you be able to purchase cards from? Well, now there's a fifth power. Uh, As I said earlier, there's 20 new leader cards with a new leader mechanism. There are 30 special player tokens that you can use in with a combination of cards. And this is my kind of biggest hope and concern is that there are components that add a fifth player. So, Uh. (laughs) yeah, I know Uh. it's the dreaded four to five player Euro game, but it typically is the kind of thing that Euro expansions do, which is when they have an expansion, they're like, Hey, why not a fifth player? And you're like, ah, no, four players. That's, that's the rule when it comes to Euros. But at the very least it adds a fifth player color. How about that, Anthony?
0: Here's the problem with Lorenzo. It doesn't even play that great with four. It's so tight. The the ideal player count is three. You throw in a fifth. What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm not a a fan.
1: Well, they're going to add another tower, so it should loosen the game up. And then it probably will still just play with the lower player count, so you don't have to play with five. But I don't know. The game hasn't come out, so we haven't seen it. But I always like a different color, and I'm willing to pay for a different player color. So who knows?
0: That's true. The player colors in this are super bland. Yes. So... (laughs) all different shades of brown
1: yeah it's true all right so that's our acquisition disorders now on to our at the table so anthony what has been hitting your table for bga this week
0: all right so like i said there's a game that it was on the pile of games to play uh, for review and i wasn't i was interested but i wasn't like over the moon interested this is actually one that had been Recommended to me by a couple of listeners, and I wish I could remember who did, but if you did, know that I heard you. And when we were at Gen Con, we tracked this one down. It is Master of Orion, the board game from, of all companies, Cryptozoic. So this is uh, based on the computer game which has been around forever. I know there's a new iteration that's been out relatively recently, but it's, it's an old franchise. And it was released, uh, I believe, last year, late last year. So it's been out for a little while, but it's relatively new. And it is a game uh, based on those computer games. So the core mechanism of the game is you are building a tableau of cards. Uh, there's no central board um, other than the score tracker. Everybody has their own player mat. On your player mat, you're keeping track of three resources, plants, military, and building power. You have uh, several different actions you can take, which are listed on your player mat. You can build stuff. You can exploit. Um, So when you're building, you're building a card from your hand. When you're exploiting, you're turning a card into resources. You can research to draw new cards. You can trade. So you can swap different resources for each other. There's propaganda to increase your morale. And then there's contract where you can take one of the advisors from the middle of the table and use their special power. And so basically what you're doing is you're trying to build up a hand of cards and these hands of cards, they have different powers on them. Some of the cards will activate right when you play them, other ones are recurring, other ones still are end of game scoring. But the interesting thing here is that the cards that activate or have beginning of round abilities or really anything that needs to be facing on the card only activate if they're on top of a stack. And so you can only have four stacks of cards. And so at any time, you can only have four cards that activate at any point in time. So the ones you want on the bottom are the app, you know, when you build it effects. And then the rest on the top, you want to make sure or you have to manipulate these piles and make sure that they're available at any given time. You get a different number of action cubes every round. Um, it's between three and five based on how many resources you have. And there's a few other effects that can increase that number. There are, I believe, six or seven different races in the game. Each of them has their own special power that and they're decent special power. So it's pretty asymmetrical in that way. And what you'll do is you'll go around and around through eight rounds and you will draw your cards, play them out, um, build these different things. The game is decently interactive, so the military cards will allow you to hurt other people's morale, attack them directly. Uh, to score victory points, move their cards around, um, knock some of their resources out. Nothing that breaks it too much. It's not super heavy in your face, but it's enough that you feel like you're always interacting with each other. So it's not a straight tableau builder. I was really impressed with this. I honestly didn't expect very much, especially from a licensed game from Cryptozoic. It's but it's just fun. I mean, I like tableau building anyways, cause you're building a little bit of an engine, but you have to stay on your toes because at any point in time, if you are not paying attention or you don't have any military response cards out or you, you know, get too many resources or not enough morale, someone can hit you and that could hurt a little bit more than it would otherwise. You need to be mitigating while you're building up your points. And it just, it plays out really interestingly over the course of those eight rounds. Uh, Played this a couple times now with a full player count and with once or twice with a smaller player count. And every time it's kind of played roughly the same, it it balances itself pretty well because of the way everybody interacts. And I'm very impressed for a game that basically has a player mat and a deck of cards, a single deck of cards that you run through. It it manages to do a lot of interesting things. Um, Now, the couple things I wish it did more of, the military attacks, can get a little one sided if one side ends up with a lot of military production because you can only attack somebody if you have more military than they do. The deck of cards is less than 100 cards. So you're going to run through it every game, meaning you see every card in the game every time through. So it'd be nice if there were more cards here. Uh, so an expansion would be nice um, or just more cards out of the box would be great. But that's all about variety. I, I don't feel like there's any balance issues here. I've played it through it several times. the The races are great. The artwork's very interesting this is a really fun game. Uh, if you like Master of Orion, the you know the, the, IP, or if you play the video game at all, I think you'll really enjoy this game. If you like sci-fi, if you like space, if you like this type of theme in general, I think you'll like this one a lot. Um, it manages to stay fairly colorful all the way throughout. Like a lot of space games are very dark and stark and blah. This one's just very interesting to look at. And so against all odds, I must say, Cryptozoic, good job with this IP. <laughs> I don't know where that what? came from, but I know <laughs> they did a thing. Component quality's fine; it's fine. <laughs> but it's, everything else is great. So, um, yeah, people who like tableau builders, massive Orion, sci-fi, this is a borderline buy for me. I definitely check it out.
1: All right, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I was cautiously optimistic about that game, and I'm glad to see that they pulled it out the last second.
0: Yes. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I had no interest in this at all. A couple people on Twitter said we should check it out. So I did. And whoever you were, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, please keep in contact with us. If you if a game hits your table and you love it, don't keep it a secret. Hit us up on one of our social media. Post to Twitter, Facebook, website, email, just so that we can put that game on the podcast and give it a little bit of a love. All right. So a game that I'm going to review here. A game that's, I would say, has gotten love on and off through the many, many years is Downforce by Rob Davio, Justin Jacobson, and especially Wolfgang Kramer. Now, Kramer probably, I would say, is the most responsible for this because this is his original game way, way back in 1974, his first published game. And then it came out in many, many different iterations and now... Recently, Restoration Games has picked this game up and done a reprint. And I could say it's a really high-quality reprint. And basically, Downforce, as you probably have already guessed, is a racing game. Because we figured, why not do racing games on an episode where we're not talking about racing games so much? So, Downforce is your traditional game where you have a car and you have an ability to move the car and in this case you'll have a number of different action action cards where it's going to depict how the cars move now you're not just moving your car but you're going to be moving a number of cars based upon the card that you have to play so you have a small deck in your hand so you get to choose what you play and when you play it but you do have to follow those rules now wait a minute There, of course, like any good game, there are cards that break rules. So at the start of the game, there's going to be an auction round where you will auction for not just the color of the car, but also one of its special abilities. So there are six special abilities in this game. They're strategic, tricky, cunning, determined, aggressive, and unpredictable. The point of these special abilities is to give that car something unique about it. So, the auction comes down to not so much the color because the color doesn't really matter unless you're like me and you always have to play green, but it really matters when it comes down to whatever the special ability is. So, for example, with strategic, if you play a speed card with all six colors on it, you may ignore one color on it. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but in the gameplay, you really might want to not move your opponent's car up to the maximum you know, speed that it's able to take Because it could win them the game. Or for example, Cunning allows you to move your car even if it's not on your turn. So people are going to be moving your car throughout the game. It's always going to be moving forward. But if you can just sneak through here and there through the tight kind of spots, then that benefits you greatly. So you auction for the car. Then you play cards. And you move your cars and you get away from those choke points because really that's what the game comes down to. Uh, Depending on which side of the board you play, and the the board is double-sided, one side's a little tougher because it has more choke points. You're going to try to avoid those or get through those before everyone else stalls in that, that particular spot. And at three times during the game, which is marked by yellow lines on the board, you will bet. So even if your car is not winning, not to worry, you could bet on some other car. And if that car comes in at a high standing, you are going to get money. So bet on your car, bet on other people's cars. You've seen this game before, either in, you know, Kramer's formulation or in one of the other multitude of formulations. The game is, I don't know, it's, it's extremely light. I would say it's worth a play. But not really much more than that. It's really on the line for me. It's something you could play with a lot of people, which is nice. And the production's very good. But other than just one play, I think otherwise you can kind of move on. Uh, Downforce does a good job. It's a quality game. If you're looking for a light game to play with family and children, this is probably for you. Or if you're looking just to get a game out. That's great. And uh, if you are a fan of Kramer's other versions of this game, it's definitely something to add to the collection.
0: Yeah, man, I think I liked it a little bit more. But I I mean, I hear where you're coming from. It's it's not a heavy game at all. It takes 30, 40 minutes to play at the most. We've played similar games in the past, like Longshot, that are a little bit more involved. So uh, I feel like the maps almost kind of lighten it. The 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 actual tracks here are very, very simple.
1: Yeah, I think they're a little too simple, and it really comes down to the choke point. If you can get your car to the choke point, and then the rest of your car just allows everyone just to pile up and not move ahead, and then you can move your car to the next choke point, and then everyone else piles up in that right behind you. I mean, that's pretty much all the strategy comes down to, and the cards you get in your hand are really going to determine how far you can move your car. So, most of the, this game is out of your hands other than auctioning for the special ability. And while the special abilities are good, when you're bidding for special abilities, it's actually taking away victory points at the end of the game. So I think this game would be a solid play for me if it had maybe, I don't know, a dozen or so special ability cards. But it only has six. So you're probably going to see the same cards every time you play. And they don't do anything radically different. And as you said, the maps are a little kind of blah. So, yeah, it's a play. I'll kind of kind of, just, you know, it's a photo finish and it gets a play.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm treating it as like a, a big box filler at this point. But yeah, I'm with you.
1: Yeah. All right. So really quickly, I want to talk about another game that kind of fits in that same area. This is a Spiel des Jahres no- nominee for 2017, and that is Magic Maze. Now, Magic Maze is one of those games for me that it's so that this game should have been produced that I feel like I should have produced this game the game itself obviously has a fantasy magical theme and you are adventurers who have come into a bad situation where you've lost all of your equipment for your upcoming adventure so you have decided with your companions to go to the local Let's say fantasy shopping mall and shoplift your <laughs> equipment. So, the game is going to be four tokens uh, of different colors that represent the different adventurers. And it's going to be a variable module setup. And you start off with one tile and then you move out your tokens. And that activates explore features where you'll be able to put other tokens down. And the object is to get to your specific colored area. So you can pick up your weapon. Uh, There's no tokens. It's just you got to your colored area, and then you kind of move to this kind of like uh, player area. And then at that point, I guess all the alarms go off, and you have to rush out of that mall and get to your player-specific escape area. So that's the game. But here's the twist. How you move your token, or in this case your pawn, is based on what movement tile you have in front of you. So this is a cooperative game and everyone's going to have a specific tile that's going to determine what they can do in the game. So yours might be move north. Mine might be move west. Uh, Someone else could have explore. Someone else could have move up the escalator. And depending on the player number in this game, you might have a lot of things you could do on your player card or just one thing you could do. So what's great about this game, it's very flexible and it can play with a lot of players. What's problematic or way too easy about this game is throughout the whole game, you're just doing your one thing. So if you can just move north, you're just pushing it north when it's time to push it north. And the rest of the time, you're looking at the other players like, huh? Huh? You know, you should move your other players because that's the other thing about this game. You're not allowed to communicate while the game is happening with the exception of these kind of certain spots in certain modules and scenarios so other than the halfway point where you can kind of strategize before you go into that final round you're basically just moving your pawn your one way and hoping that everyone can do it before time runs out on the sand timer for families and kids this game is pretty dynamic and i'm sure that was where this kind of you know it's a sweet spot for adults and gamers of any age this game is way too simplistic it's kind of cute and interesting to play but after playing this game myself and playing with different player counts and different people i couldn't get anyone to play this a second time so where downforce has enough streamlining to it that you can kind of accept the play magic maze just barely kind of misses that photo finish and it's going to be a dodge.
0: Uh, It's unfortunate. Yeah, I know a lot of people were playing this at Gen Con, but it just didn't really capture my attention. It just looked too simple. Sounds like that's the case.
1: It's a brilliant idea. It's a great, great production. There are a lot of different scenarios that you can kind of mix the game up. It's going to have an expansion that's going to come up to make the game maybe hopefully a little more challenging. But when you boil it down to its basic kind of mechanics, you're just waiting to push you know, one of the four tokens in the direction you could push it in or do one of the actions depending on how many people are playing. And it's really not that complicated. I've actually watched other video reviews of this and playthroughs especially. And, you know, you come up with a very simplistic plan, which is like we'll move this color, then this color, and this color. And the game just becomes so super easy that you don't even need to use any of the timeouts. And any of the scenarios aren't really that difficult. So hopefully the expansion adds something to it. But as it stands, it's a dodge. All right. So that's everything that's been hitting our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So as we talked about earlier, our feature review is the top 10 race games. So we are talking about games that have set finish points. Games that wrap up when someone reaches a certain end goal. And, you know... This genre is a little different because it's not your traditional, you know, uh, getting in a vehicle and running to the right, to the finish line as quickly as possible because that's a whole different genre. But it's something that we thought would be fun and interesting and yet brings into some different types of games into the table. So, uh, Anthony, let's uh, talk about our top 10 race games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I know this first one is one that you had had a chance to play. So I'll let you go ahead and take this one away.
1: Yeah, I I really enjoy this game. This is Deep Sea Adventure by Oink Games. It's a really, really small box. When you talk about like tiny, epic games, this is a tiny, epic game. And basically what you're doing is you and your competitors are divers chasing down gold. But the challenge here is you want to get all these valuables back up to the submarine before oxygen runs out. So... There is a solid, interesting, press-your-luck race mechanic in this game that you're trying to get back up there with the most stuff possible, but it's not always possible. So really, really think out how much can you carry when you're on this race? So that's our number 10, Deep Sea Adventure. How about our number nine, Anthony? All right,
0: number nine is a relatively new game. This is one I just picked up at Gen Con and have had a chance to play a few times because it has three different ways to play it, competitive, solo, or cooperative. That is Summit the Board Game. So uh, in the cooperative and solo mode, everybody's trying to get up the mountain and back down to base camp. There's no race. So forget that part. We're not talking about that right now. The competitive version, however, you are racing each other and there is a very, very interesting karma system where you gain karma points. If you help people, you lose them. If you hurt people and you kind of balance it back and forth so you don't get hurt by your own bad karma by basically hitting people too hard on the way up and back. The goal of which, of course, is to get to the top of the mountain first and get back to the bottom in one piece. Uh, It is a very interesting system. I don't think I've played anything like it. And... Really, everything about this game is very unique, from the artwork to the presentation to the components to the the rulebook itself. This is one I'll have a more detailed review on here in the next couple of weeks. But in terms of a race game, it is definitely an interesting one. And there are no vehicles in this game. You are climbing a mountain.
1: Okay, our number eight game is Port Royale. And thanks to my friend Jay, I actually got this to the table once again really recently. Now, this is a game by Alexander Pfister. And the race mechanic here is once again kind of depicted in two ways it has a press your luck mechanic as far as you're a pirate kind of going out to sea and you know there are other pirates out there so how far are you going to press your luck as far as facing down more and more danger if you get two of the same color pirate ship everything is over and you're kind of done but everyone is racing to a point goal that actually happens very quickly so you're kind of building up A tableau with special abilities and swords to fight up pirates, but you're trying to accomplish this point goal, and with its expansion, their special goal there, on top of the 12-point goal, that allows you to win the game. So it's quick, it's fast, it's fun, and everyone's racing to those 12 influence points. With expedition cards, a lot of fun. That's our number eight game, Port Royale.
0: All righty. So number seven on the list is a classic that's been re-implemented a few times. This is Around the World in 80 Days. It's based on Hare and Tortoise. Very classic game uh, from going way back, I think the 1970s. Uh, This is the more recent edition. Uh, This particular game's been re-released by Yellow here just in the last year or so. And it tells the story of Phileas Fogg, racing around the world in 80 days. But of course, if you've read that classic story, you remember that there was also a whole bunch of money stolen from the Bank of England at the same time. So you have to be the first lady or gentleman to get back to London, but you cannot have any rumor cards and you must have 10 or less pounds in your pocket so you can prove your innocence. Very, very interesting take on the race mechanism and uh, just a fun system where you're trying to, win this race but at the same time you have to manage these different resources i I love the book i love the original system from heron tortoise and i think it works really well here
1: well our number six game is star trek ascendancy now you're doing a lot of different things in this massive kind of 4x game but basically what it comes down to is you're trying to get five ascendancy tokens that marks you as the victor in this game Unless you can knock everyone out, but basically you're going for those five ascendancy tokens. This game is all about building up your civilization, partnering with other civilization, and exploring the galaxy. So as the game goes on, you're getting more powerful, you're attacking other players. But basically, whether you're going for a a military victory or a cultural victory, the whole game is who can reach that final goal the quickest. That's our number six game, Star Trek Ascendancy.
0: All right, coming in number five is Reiner Knizia's The Quest for El Dorado. This was actually a Spiel des Jahres nominee this year. And it is a race game in the purest sense of the word. You are trying to be the first one to reach the city of El Dorado, but you're doing it by building up a deck of cards and playing these cards every turn to purchase new cards and move through the jungle. So you have to match these different symbols as you go. So it's a very interesting balance between pulling in the cards you need, spending the different resources you have available, and actually moving forward through the map in, in an attempt to reach the end of the game. Every game I've played of this has been relatively close within a round or two of everybody getting to the end, and it's a very interesting, quick, fairly simple-to-teach game that I feel like would have been a great choice for the Spiel des Jahr. Uh,
1: but it is also just a fantastic race game, one you guys should check out. Okay, our number four game is Oracle of delphi this is a feld and you know how much we love our felds but this is a very different feld so as you're trying to accomplish all of these set goals you are exploring this wonderful system of islands trying to do some pick up and deliver some trying to take down some monsters but the whole game is incredibly tense as you sail around in order to reach this final goal of completing all of these quests it's fantastic, it's fun, it's got this wonderful modular board, and it's our number four game, Oracle of Delphi.
0: All right, so number three on the list is a another game that was re-released recently, um, but it's actually been out for almost a decade, and that's The Climbers from Holger Lanz. This was recently re-released by Capstone Games, and I talked about it just a few weeks ago after Gen Con. Uh, it is... The basic idea is you are moving blocks around and trying to move your pawn as high as you can on this tower. You are the winner if you reach the highest point first and nobody else can move up any higher. So you are trying to manipulate the blocks, position yourself in a way to get to a higher point, use your ladders and stop other people from doing that with your blocking stone. Very, very interesting game. Seems very simple on the surface, but there's a lot of depth here. This is like the abstract filler game for heavy gamers at this point. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic
1: race game because you are trying to get there first. Okay, our number two game is Gravwell, Escape from the Ninth Dimension. This is one of Daniel's favorite games. Now, in this kind of race game where you're really not racing each other so much as you're trying not to get sucked into this black hole, you're playing one of 26 alphabetized cards. And based upon its special ability and it's letter, you are going to activate these in certain turns. So all of your opponents are playing cards, you're playing a card, depending on how they come out, depends on the grav well, and how it affects all of the players. And like I said, at the end, you're trying to get to the final goal, but really, you're just trying to avoid getting sucked away. So the first person who reaches the warp gates wins, but if no one escapes after six rounds, the player closest to the gate wins, and that's really what everyone's shooting for. That's our number two game, Gravwell Escape from the Ninth Dimension.
0: All right, and the last one on the list, number one here, is Lewis and Clark: The Expedition. This is from Cedric Jabasset and the artist Vincent Dutra. This game is a fantastic version of a race game. You are have all these different me- mechanisms. You have these dual-sided, dual-used cards. This worker placement-style system in the middle of the board this hand-building element while you're drafting and purchasing these different cards to use. But in the end, the goal is to be the first person to the Pacific Coast. So you are moving forward and backwards on the river and trying to time it just right so that you get there on your final turn and you're able to beat everybody else to the the end of the game. It's a very clever use of all these different mechanisms to drive a racing system that uh, I've still yet to see replicated in another game of this
1: type so that is lewis and clark our number one racing game yeah i think this game really does so many things right you really feel pressure the entire time to get to that final goal or blow past that final goal because oftentimes you're getting pulled back phenomenal game and really deserving of our number one game okay so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you i see at the table that is if you yell shotgun